lovely to see you. Um, yes, as Graham said, does what he spoke about resonate with what I'm going to show you? Just a little bit. And actually what I connect with from what Graham shared was that um, I would say, as I look back over my life, I became a Christian at the age of seven through a church-based holiday club. I don't remember the woman who prayed with me. I don't remember what she looked like or what her name was, but I remember sitting on some stairs in a church building praying that prayer to ask Jesus to come into my life. The reason for that was because I knew at age seven, quite simply, with all those girly ins and outs of friendships up and down and chopped and changing, as some of you might have trod a similar path, but I knew that Jesus was the friend who would always be with me and never let me down. And it was that simple truth about Jesus being my friend that has never left me. And somebody many years years later on said to me when I said um, in fact it was a neighbor of mine called Colin who my mum and dad had been ministering to and befriending and doing life with for many years Colin became a Christian at the age of 51 having done an alpha course and I came back and found Colin in my lounge at home um, as a student I'd come back home and there was Colin and I said to him some stupid words um, which I look back on but I said Colin you're you know I heard that there's good news you've become a Christian through alpha And I said, you're really fortunate because you know how your life was before God and now you must really appreciate it. And Colin looked at me with what felt like, you know, a a sort of glare that looked, um, not a glare, it's the wrong word, but he looked at me what felt like five minutes. It was probably about 10 seconds. But he said these words, which completely transformed my testimony from there on in. He just said, Rachel, you are so fortunate to have never known your life without God. And that really transformed the fact that knowing Jesus as my friend, having grown up in a Christian family, thinking my story was really dull and boring, those words were transformative for me. And maybe some of you find yourselves in that same situation. Aren't we fortunate to know Jesus as our friend, that steadfast um, person who will never leave us, always be with us, and to have never known our lives without God? Or having known God even over the last two months, two years, 20 years, whatever it may be. Slight aside, but there we go. Thank you, Graham, for um, reminding us Jesus is our friend. And we really can talk Jesus. I'm just going to take a few minutes to just, as we've done over the last few months, dip into what comes out of this wonderful piece of research, Talking Jesus Research, which if you didn't have a copy of this before Christmas, there are a few copies out in the foyer. Um, But I just want to pick out a couple of snippets, again, with the hope that it would just ignite something in you again going into this next week this next this new year of something that came out of the research to encourage us that we really can be people who just do life and faith hand in hand in the everyday so let me just remind you um Next slide, please, Ollie. The the Talking Jesus research took a snapshot at the beginning of 2022, so we're a little way on for that now, but still it maps the missional landscape that you and I are a part of, whether we're at work, at school, whether we volunteer, whether we're out in cafes, pubs, the gym, wherever it may be. Actually, we're amongst people who, as the survey reveals for us through the research, really are, as Graham said, they really want to know about spirituality, about what life is about, about why we're here. If you remember, we looked at just before Christmas, um, or back in November, I think it was, one of the main questions that people are asking is, will everything be okay? In this crazy roller coaster of life, in a cost of living crisis, in the uncertainty, will everything be okay? 4,000 people were surveyed across all age and region and gender and so on. So we took a really good snapshot of the UK to look at this, the state of faith in terms of mission and evangelism across the UK. And I've just got a couple of stats to remind you of and then one that I'd love to leave you with, um, particularly for today and going into this week. 
If you go to the next slide, please, um, Ollie. We asked amongst the many questions that, again, are very accessible and very easy to read through um, in the report, but we asked for those people outside of the church various different questions. On the next slide, please, one of them was this. If you know a practising Christian, we asked them various questions around it. First one was this. How many people actually know a practising Christian? You might remember we looked at this before. 53% of the UK said that they know someone in close proximity to them who is a practising Christian. You may recall, if you heard me speak to this before, that when this research was originally done in 2015, this was actually 68%. So what it shows us actually is a bit of a glaring alert here that actually over seven years um, that number has dropped from 68 to 53. The encouragement to myself, to us all is actually if we're living amongst our friends, our family members, we just need to let them know that we are actually a Christian because in the midst of them having these reeling moments of thinking, will everything be okay? What will make me happy? What happens when I die? Some of the other questions that they flagged up as of importance in their thinking and looking at life and faith. Actually, we just need to be people that if they really are asking, wanting to explore more, where do they come to? Well, they might, if they know you're a Christian, they might come to you. But the next slide shows us that if they know us, they know us really well. As you can see here, the top answer across the UK was that if that person said they knew a practicing Christian, as you can see at 35%, we're predominantly a friend. So that's somebody who just does life in, in the raw with them, who maybe goes through those life journeys, the ups and downs, the ins and outs. It's closely followed, as you can see, as a family member. We've all come out of Christmas time, having people around our tables, going out and all the festivities that that presented itself. I wonder whether you captured maybe some opportunities or moments where you could just sense that people were challenging themselves, asking those questions about what life is all about. But if you remember, and we don't have it on a slide here today, but if you remember, actually, when we dug a bit deeper and we said, okay, so if the Christian that you know is in close proximity to you, they're a family, a friend, they're also might be a neighbour, a work acquaintance and so on, if you know them, what do you think of them? Actually, overridingly, if you recall, what came out of the research is that they said it was altogether positive. The top four answers were they think that we're friendly, we're caring, we're good-humoured and we're generous. Does the media portray that picture of us? Absolutely not. My fierce passion is that I feel ever more so. We have been absolutely kneecapped, crippled by the media over the last few decades that tells us as Christian witnesses that people will shut us down. They don't want to know. They think we're boring, law-abiding. And it's just not true, friends. The fact is they know us, they like us, they think well of us. So this next slide is the one that I want to, um, I don't think we've looked at this one before, but I want to reveal this to you today. One of the next questions was, for those friends in our proximity, those who might wish to explore faith, we asked this question, if you were wanting to even explore faith for yourself, how would you go about it? Where would you start? Well, as you might be able to see, hopefully you can read that there, the top answer at 26% was that people said that they'd go to where? Google. I don't know about you, if you want to know anything, you want to know about the weather, you want to know where to go on holiday, you want to do your shopping, most of us, including me, would go straight to Google. Isn't that interesting that actually in a time and age where maybe they might know you, but they might not always want to ask those big questions of you, even if they do know you, like you, trust you. This sense of there's an anonymity, isn't there, to being able to ask big questions of life and faith via Google. And actually, if you look at the answer below that and put together Google and YouTube, it tells us that 36% of people across the UK would go to the digital online presence first. 
Well, what does that encourage us? It's encouraged and challenged me, whether it's our church website, whether it's our organisational websites, whether it's our own personal social media. Actually, maybe we need to just make sure that there's great content online, that if people come and not just want to know about our church services and our leadership and so on, but if they want to say, is there a God? How do I become a Christian? How do I read the Bible? Then actually there's some content there. Um, I meet with lots of church leaders in my work at the Evangelical Alliance and it's been fascinating over the last 12 months. I've encountered at least 12 and even one this week, 12 church leaders who have said they are seeing more people come into their churches as a result of engaging with Christian content on TikTok and on YouTube than they've ever seen before. So doesn't that challenge us actually to put good stuff to maybe be that bit bolder and braver, even with our own social media as well, to on occasions like Easter or Valentine's Day or whatever it is to actually put something out about the Christian message of light and truth and hope. The second joint top answers that I want to just leave you with are this. After going to Google, if people wish to explore faith, where else do they go? We can see there's a joint second top answer, which is this. 22% of people said that they would seek out a local church. Isn't that good news for us? They would come along with their questions to say, do you know what, I've seen this online, or I've felt this, or I used to go to church, or this is my background, and I just want to know more. The importance of our buildings being open as well. Young adults, we've found through this research, will seek out a church building to go in to encounter something of God, or to actually seek out a leader to speak to. So there's a challenge for us about our buildings being open, our services being accessible, and so on. But I also want to just draw your attention and to land on this. 22% of people said that if they wished to explore faith, they would go to the Bible first. Now, I don't know how that makes you feel, but I've had many church leaders over the last 18 months say, Rachel, is it bad that I'm surprised that 22%, the joint second top answer, that so many people would go to the Bible first to explore faith? I don't know what you would respond. My response has been, no, that's not a bad thing. But isn't it a timely reminder of the power and the transformative nature of the word of God? So my challenge to us and to myself this morning is, in light of this, maybe it's the digital, maybe it's social media and how you can use it yourself to gently fuel something of your life, your story, your journey through social media. But I'd love to leave you with this Bible stat. How much are we as individual Christians excited about the Bible ourselves? Enough to recognise that actually putting it into people's hands, whether it's a physical version, digital, Lectio 365, whatever you might use to engage. Actually, my encouragement or challenge to you this morning is to just think about how can we be people that actually, in people exploring faith, might point them to the transformative word of the Bible over this coming year. Just lastly, two very practical things um, to do on that. One is Hope Together, brilliant organisation, have some lovely Mark's Gospels, Luke's Gospels. I've challenged myself over the last two Christmases now to buy a stack of them. They're a pound each online. Um, but just to put them in with people's birthday presents or their Christmas presents, challenging myself to just think, what's the worst that can happen? They could either chuck it in the bin, they can put it on a shelf, but they might just read it. And who knows that the Holy Spirit might just lift something of the words off the page. And very briefly, as I finish, just to tell you about, many of you will know the Booths, Jed and Tracy Booth. And speaking to Tracy, um, not all that long ago, just before Christmas, um, 
she really encouraged me by saying that she had challenged herself with a guy called Craig in her workplace who was having a difficult time but clearly sort of seeking out something of faith. She gave him um, the book Run Baby Run by Nicky Cruz, some of you might know, thinking he's a reader, he didn't do much at the weekends. She gave him to, um, this book to him thinking, what's the worst that could happen? He came back to work on Monday. She gave the book to him on Friday. He said, I read the book, and at the back of the book, it talked about David Wilkerson. So I watched the film, The Cross and the Switchblade, which he found on Netflix, I believe. He was so impacted that he asked her a few questions during that week. She gave him a Bible. He read, started to read part of that. And the following Sunday, he came to her church. Jen Tracy now go to Jubilee. He's been going to their church ever since, and I believe he's starting an Alpha course um, this January. Isn't that amazing? I was so thrilled for Tracy and so impacted when we take that little bold but brave step to gently weave in something of the truth of the gospel and then actually who knows what could happen. So I'll leave that with you today friends that actually as we dig deep to knowing Jesus is our friend, he's part of our lives, how can we just seek out that golden nugget to share something, maybe boldly taking a step to see how the Bible can connect with people. But who knows, this might be the year that something of God's truth or word through you or through his Bible might just lift something in the people that we're around in each and every day. Can I pray for us as I hand back to Graham? Is that all right? Let me just pray. Father God, I just thank you for the opportunities that we have. Lord, just encourage us that whilst the media might tell us that people don't want to know, Lord, we know from this research and many other examples um, that, Lord, people are hungry seeking out something of light and truth and hope in this challenging season. Lord, I just pray for my friends here and for myself, Lord, may this be a week, may this be a month, may this be a year where we see people around us in close proximity to us just come to know something of you as their friend. Lord, give us the boldness and braveness to just gently... Um, drop in those nuggets of truth that people's lives might be lifted to just want to know something more of who you are. So just pray for that courage as we look at this series of acts as well this week, Lord, as we look at simple courage. Lord, just pray, would you give us that this year? And may we just see and know who are those one or two people around us who might need to know something of you in the times ahead. In your name I ask. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. As Rachel has just reminded us, of course, Jesus is our friend. And in Hebrews, the chapter I read out at the start, we have a high priest who cares and wants to meet our needs. So before we go into another block of worship, I'd like us just to be quiet and just to bring ourselves before our friend Jesus. Uh, We all have different circumstances in our lives. We have members in the family who are grieving, some are unwell. There's some pretty sad news internationally with wars breaking out and conflict. We have a friend that cares and a friend that would like to engage with us in conversation. So before we join together and lift our voices mightily in, in, in song, let's lift our hearts quietly to the God who cares, our high priest, in confidence that he will listen and that he will meet our needs. Lord Jesus, I know you are listening. I know you look upon us. I know you care to hear about how we feel. You long for us to come before you, to lay our thoughts, our feelings, our hearts before you honestly, to bring you our praise, to bring you our concerns. Lord, I invite you now to inhabit our prayer. As each of us bring our thoughts, our concerns, our worries, our cares, our joys, as we bring them to you, our high priest, our friend, 
And Lord, I pray that if our words may be silent, that we will hear your response in our hearts. Amen. I'm sure many of you are aware we started a a new series as a family, uh, working and reading through the book of Acts. I'd like to invite Gillian now to come and uh, read from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Assyria, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who are in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you, but listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness 
and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. May the Lord add his blessing on his word and on Lizzie as she brings. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to us. We ask that your Holy Spirit will breathe through these words and will anoint them. We ask that he will make them real to all of our hearts. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. When I first moved to this part of Cambridgeshire and I joined the Ely U3A, I came to a meeting in this building, actually, where the recorder group of the U3A gave a a performance. At that point, I hadn't played the recorder for years, but I was riveted. It was such a harmonious sound, and they all seemed to be having so much fun. By the time they launched into a foot-tapping selection of Scottish country dancing, I knew I wanted to be part of them. When I rushed up to them afterwards to learn what day they practised and how I could join them, I think they were a bit taken aback. Today, I love being part of that group and going along to practice is one of the highlights of my week. Two years ago, the group was asked to play again at a meeting here on a Tuesday afternoon and this time I wasn't in the audience. I reminded my friends of how I wanted to join them when I first heard them play They still can't really understand this. You heard us and you still wanted to join? On the day of Pentecost, Jewish pilgrims in Jerusalem witness something astonishing. They see and hear men and women rushing into the street, shouting about the wonders and the glory of God. It's so overwhelming, but they know that they want to be part of it. They want what these people have. That's the effect the work of the Holy Spirit has when it's visible in the lives of believers. We might feel that we are in a completely different place to those first disciples, but the power and the might of God's Spirit is exactly the same, and he wants to have the same impact on people's lives today we see that these people are together. We're told they're all together in one place when the Spirit comes. Since the disciples saw Jesus going back into heaven, they've been doing as he instructed. They are waiting in Jerusalem. They've chosen another disciple, Matthias, to replace the traitor, Judas. But apart from that, they've done very little publicly. They've gathered together in prayer. We can imagine that they took comfort in being together. They could talk over everything that had happened in the last few weeks. They could support one another in what must have been often bewilderment and apprehension. It was still really hard for them to grasp what the life and ministry of Jesus had really all been about. 
I'm sure they talked together about what he'd said when he'd been with them and had over all those amazing instances of his appearing to them after he rose from the dead. Perhaps sometimes they found it really, really difficult waiting. Waiting isn't easy, we know that. What were they waiting for? Perhaps they had different ideas about that. Perhaps they got a bit irritated with one another. But it's really important that when the moment comes, when the spirit is given, they are all together. Would he have come in the same way if they'd all been apart and doing their own thing? I'm not sure about that. God acts when his people come together, one body, able to support one another and wait on him together. We should honour the faithfulness of the disciples in doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do. They had no idea how long they might have to wait, but they were ready because they were gathered in that place waiting for God to use them for his glory. My friend joined in an Alpha course in a church that she was attending just to see what it was like. And all sorts of people turned up for this course, and she talked to a woman she hadn't met before. Oh, I'm a Christian, this lady explained, but I just don't feel the need to go to church. This really doesn't make a lot of sense. When I was a child, we were given a Sunday school prize every year. There was a sticker in the front saying how many marks you'd achieved. In other words, how many times you've been to church that year. It was said with great flourish at the beginning that some pupils had achieved full marks and they were called up to the front first. I remember that you went on, when you went on holiday, you still had to go to church and somebody there was supposed to write a note to say that you'd still earned your mark. Of course, this would not do in this day and age, for all kinds of reasons. And that's not the attitude that we should have towards joining with our family in worship. It's not about getting brownie points and it's not about being able to say that we've got full marks. We need to gather together. We really need to, to praise and to worship God to learn together from his word and pray because we're his people and he wants to bless us and use us. On that day of Pentecost, the church came into being for the first time. It was all part of God's plan to continue his mission to the world through the lives of ordinary people made extraordinary by the filling of his spirit. He plans to give gifts to people that would enable them to do his work. And everybody has different gifts and a different personality, different strengths and weaknesses. It's just like in any family. We need one another and God wants to use us all individually, yes, but as part of his church. Without being together, we lose so much of our effectiveness. Does anything get in the way of us joining with God's people? Of course, there may be reasons why it's difficult and sometimes it's impossible, 
But we remember all too well that over the last few years, we've had time when being all together in one place wasn't even allowed. During that time, praise God, we found ways to see and to hear one another. We never stopped praying and we never stopped acting as the church of Jesus Christ. But perhaps we realise, as never before, how important it is for the Lord's people to come together and share with one another. At the start of this new year, let's decide that we're going to prioritise our togetherness in every way we can so that we can support the mission that God has for all of us and experience the power of his spirit moving among us. Are we ready for what he's going to do? These disciples are transformed. While they've been waiting, seemingly there's been nothing remarkable about them. They've stuck together. They've replaced that 12th person in the lineup of the followers of Jesus. And they do this by drawing lots after a time of prayer trusting that the Lord will make his will known. You can't imagine them doing that after they've received the Spirit, but they had no other option at the time. Then quite suddenly, everything changes. Luke describes a noise like the blowing of a great wind, and then tongues of fire appear to hover over the heads of those who are gathered together. These things symbolize the power of the Holy Spirit. The word spirit and the word breath are the same in both biblical languages of Hebrew and Greek. And even in our own language, we can connect the word respiratory with our word for spirit. It all has to do with breathing and life. Talking about wind and fire is the nearest that Luke can come to it. Whoever told him the story must have struggled to find words for something so obviously supernatural. So something like wind blows and something like fire appears, resting on the head of each person there. It's like nothing that's ever been seen before, and those people in that room are changed. The first sign that the Spirit has filled them is that they begin to speak in other languages. Jerusalem was full of pilgrims who'd arrived for Pentecost. It was part of the Harvest Festival celebration in that Jewish culture. They'd come from all over the known world, all the lands surrounding the Mediterranean. What would it be like to suddenly hear the praises of God proclaimed in your own language while you're abroad. These days, when we travel, we tend to find that everyone speaks a little English, at least in restaurants. But pilgrims from the remoter parts of the Roman Empire wouldn't have expected to hear the language they spoke at home. It wasn't necessarily that the speaking of these languages was needed for the disciples to tell the people the gospel, because when Peter stands up to preach, he presumably uses Greek, the common language they would all have known. 
No, the point about the spontaneous speaking of different tongues was that it suddenly did what nothing had done over the past 10 days. It drew attention to the followers of Jesus who were proclaiming the word of God. They may have been in the room to start with, but they could certainly be heard, and the noise drew a crowd. By the time Peter got ready to speak, they were obviously outside. The thing that made the travellers from every known land gather around was was that they heard this multilingual, exuberant, wonderful noise of people proclaiming the praises and the wonders of God. Jews from all over the known world heard those praises in the language they knew best. The Holy Spirit did a miracle that made people take notice. The followers of Jesus were totally transformed. They'd been keeping a low profile, but not anymore. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian life and witness is totally impossible. He makes all the difference. Sometimes we see a difference in people when something dramatic has happened to them. Perhaps they're suddenly doing a job they love and that they're good at. Perhaps they've been on a wonderful holiday that's refreshed them, or they're in a new and fulfilling relationship. We say that a real change has come over them. The difference that the Holy Spirit makes is far deeper, far greater than that. He changes and utterly transforms us. He's the one promised by Jesus, the comforter, the helper, the advocate, the very spirit of Jesus himself who challenges us and enables the extraordinary. The disciples have seen evidence of his work before, but now he's come upon all of them in a new way. He's filled them and made it possible for them to do things they never thought they could. That same Holy Spirit lives in every one of us who knows and trusts in Jesus. He's here. He's not an impersonal force. We need to be careful how we speak of him. He is he and not it. He will never force himself into a situation where he isn't wanted and welcomed. So it is possible for us to quench the spirit just as we would smother a candle to put it out. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 warns us against doing such a thing. When we feel afraid of where the spirit might lead us when we shy away from his influence in our life and in our church when we disparage the gifts that he gives when we close our eyes and ears to what he's saying we're limiting the lord's power in a way that will harm his mission in the world Let's pray that we would instead be ready to fan into flame the gift of God, as Paul encourages Timothy to do. Every one of us here has been gifted by the Spirit in some way. Paul has to remind the Corinthian church, who got so many things wrong, not to get hung up on the more spectacular gifts. 
gifts. The gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, these gifts might or might not be ours. What matters is that whatever gift we have been given is there to build up the church. Ask yourself, what gift have I been given that will draw attention to Jesus and to his transforming power? And how should I be using it? What do people around me need to see in me that will point them towards him? And we read about telling. On that day of Pentecost, the gospel began to be preached to all nations, just as Jesus had promised. The church went public. Imagine those Jews who heard and saw the miracle, who turned to Jesus as Lord, going home and beginning to tell the good news in their own lands. How appropriate that Pentecost is a harvest festival. Some of the bystanders think that this ecstatic shouting of the believers is something to do with alcohol. And Peter is quick to pick up on this and explain what's really going on. He stands up with great boldness that could only have been given to him by the Spirit. What a contrast with the man who declared just a few weeks ago that he'd never heard of Jesus. What just happened, he says, is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, who proclaimed that the day would come when God would pour out his spirit on all people, men and women, young and old, will prophesy, will see visions, will dream dreams, signs and wonders will be seen. What happened on the day of Pentecost was a partial fulfillment of this prophecy. It will be finally fulfilled when Jesus comes again on the glorious day of the Lord. What was happening was something that had been spoken about hundreds of years before. In the past, believers in God had experienced his spirit filling them on specific occasions, and the disciples had seen him active in the life and the miracles of Jesus. But now all of those who believe in Jesus have this infilling of the spirit which transforms their lives. Here was a demonstration of how the kingdom of God is to be all-inclusive. It is for everybody. It's multiracial, it's multilingual, it's multi-everything for absolutely everyone. In Genesis 11, we read about the Tower of Babel. It was built by an ancient people who thought that they could build a tower so high that it reached up to heaven and thereby make a name for themselves. We read that the Lord saw that they were quite literally getting above themselves and he confused their languages. They could no longer understand one another. Now, on the day of Pentecost, that language barrier has been supernaturally overcome. It's a sign that from now on, all people will be welcome in the kingdom of God because they will be able to hear and understand what he's done and come to him. And of course, the young church will soon discover that God's plan for salvation is bigger than they can possibly imagine. Jesus told them to begin their witness in Jerusalem, and those who witness the miracle of the Spirit's coming are all Jews from different parts of the known world. But within a few chapters, it turns out that non-Jews are included as well. 
Peter learns that when he meets the Gentile Cornelius, who becomes a Christian together with all his household, and they receive the Spirit, and they begin to speak with other tongues. The message about Jesus really is for everybody. It really is for everyone to the very, very ends of the earth. In November of 2022, I had an email telling me there was going to be an exhibition at the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam, a collection of paintings by a very famous Dutch painter, Vermeer. It was a once-in-a-lifetime chance to see lots of different paintings gathered all from over the world, from many places. And immediately I bought a ticket And as the time drew nearer, it turned out that many, many other people had bought a ticket and the exhibition was soon sold out. I told the woman sitting next to me in the choir I sing with about it and immediately she told several other people sitting round her and I felt like a real celebrity as they all told me how much they envied me having a ticket. The newspapers declared that now you couldn't get a ticket for love nor money. I felt smug. (laughs) I was in. Other people weren't. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is the complete opposite to that. There's no I'm in and you're out. There's no room for smugness, feeling that we are rather better than certain other people. That eagerness to tell others, the readiness to communicate the gospel to absolutely everyone, which was evident at Pentecost, needs to be part of everything we do as the Church of Jesus Christ. We have a welcoming, inclusive, loving God, a Father who wants to tell the world that his love is for them. The disciples of Jesus begin this story sitting in a room, keeping a low profile, waiting. They end it by proclaiming his love publicly in the power of the Spirit. Where do we see ourselves this morning? Does the love of Jesus shine in us and through us by the Spirit's power so that everybody who meets us thinks, I want some of that? Amen. So we've been reminded that Jesus is for us. And Jesus is for them. It's for all of us. So as we go through this week, just be confident that we quit by the Holy Spirit simply to talk about Jesus, to share that good news. Because it is worth sharing and people need and want to hear it.